Uh, our children head out for their time today. Um, we are focused on Good Shepherd at Home, our way of being able to help folks to be able to connect from home. And there actually were a few more folks this morning who were connecting that I wanted to raise up. And if, if somebody else chimes in, I'll probably raise them up too because I want to make sure that we are able to connect with some of our folks who are at home. Uh, the Bradford said hi. And uh, so they are watching from home. And Louise Griffith also said hi. So there's a couple more that have come in since that. And the Devendorfs and the Mims. And I think that that's it. That's everybody who's chimed in so far uh, as well. So we have Holy Week Easter bags here for those of you who are part of Good Shepherd. And there's some special items in those that we're going to need at the end of the service today. And actually, I'm going to need one of those bags myself because I'm going to need the special item out of that for the end of the service. So someone will grab one of those at some point for me and get it to me. That would be awesome. There are also a few resurrection eggs left for families. So if you didn't get a chance to get one of those, didn't pick yours up, it's still there as well. And you can do that. I want to thank Connie Owens, especially for uh, putting these bags together for us for Holy Week and Easter. So give a round for her to help us out. The last bags were done during right before the snowstorm hit by us because we had to get them done in our household. And uh, we're thankful for Connie for serving in that way as well. And as we talk about love and we talk about love never fails today, there's another question that we're going to ask in the next weeks to come, and I hope either you'll join us in, on site or join us online. And the question is, how do we satisfy our deep human longing for love? See, we're all designed to uniquely desire love, and every single person has been deeply shaped. Thank you so much. Has been deeply shaped by either love or a lack of love. You may already be familiar with the five love languages that helps us all understand how we receive relational love with each other. It's really, if you've never done that, it's really, we're going to draw attention somewhat to it, but not a lot. If you don't know your love language, it's really important to know that, but not only yours, but also people in your life. That helps us to see how we receive this relational love with each other according to the love language that God gave us when we were created. And learning that love language helps us as couples and families and children and youth. And they have books for everything. And they're really great. But have you ever thought about what is God's love language is to us? What is God's love language to us? Language is. What if we discovered how God built a love language in the core of who you are so you can intimately communicate with God's love for you? That's what we're going to explore. And then know how you can uniquely connect with God and find a consistent path to feel God's love and forgiveness and to share that with all those around you in your lives. So next Sunday, we're going to be doing five truths about God's love language to us. To be seen, to known, and loved. Seen, known, and loved. I'm really excited about it. I think it has a lot to speak to us uh, in the coming weeks about love. I was interested to see that one of my friends and I came up with this together at the same time from Madison Street United Methodist, but I also saw Bell Mead, other places, are all doing series on love right after Easter. So what does that say to us about the importance of that? So I hope you'll join us either on site or online over the next several weeks. And as we go to the Lord in prayer this morning in time of, of the sermon... Version is a great place for you to be able to go, follow along, read the Bible, see all the notes for the sermon this morning. Gracious God, thank you so much for the opportunity that I have and that we have to be able to hear your words this morning. May something that I say or something I don't say speak to us in a powerful way that we haven't even thought about today. May be receptive and open if our tomb door is shut and we just are sealed inside and we're desperately seeking air, may it be opened up in these moments to hear your words of life and of truth. And so, Lord, pour into our time together. Let us hear, wherever we need to hear it the most, that love never fails. And may we be changed just like you were. May we be resurrected. May we find new life this morning. And everybody both here and at home said together,
Amen. So for centuries, the Church of Jesus Christ has gathered to remember the final days of Jesus' life. His final entry into the city of Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, knowing it would be his last. His final meal with his disciples around a table on Monday, Thursday, where Jesus broke bread and poured out wine from the third cup of the Passover meal, which was the cup of redemption, as a remembrance of his broken body and his blood shed for us, which we will do once again today. His arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane and his trial and conviction by the religious leaders and the elite in the Roman Empire and his beating and his scourging and his being nailed to a rugged cross to be hung on the hill of Golgotha to see on Good Friday and his death on a cross and his burial in a borrowed tomb. And there he laid for three long days. Nevertheless, as the church has mourned that crucifixion of Jesus, it has also celebrated with joy, unexplainable, the resurrection of Jesus. That our Savior did not stay in that tomb. That He is risen. That was pretty good. You were kind of awake for that. That's pretty good. He is risen. And one of my favorite things about Easter growing up was not pics like these. These are great. Look at these pics. What a scary Easter. Who, who does this? Who, who does this? That's some scary Easter bunny material there. That's, um, that's 70s Easter bunny material for sure. I guess we didn't know how to do things in the 70s when I was a kid. No, not things like that. But the Easter egg hunt we had in our housing on naval bases, because I grew up on Navy bases for the early part of my years. We made all the eggs known all the kinds of crazy ways with Dudley's kits, you know, the paws kits, and you could buy them and you could do everything and you could spin the egg and color it and do all this other kind of stuff. It wasn't like the later stuff where you could swirl an egg. You couldn't do that back then. You had nine colors. You got nine little things. You put them in the thing and you get nine colors and you could maybe do something with a wax crayon. That's it. That's all you got. And my parents would hide them all over the house. We didn't have, I don't remember ever having an outside Easter egg hunt. And where you thought an egg might be was not usually where it was. Of course, we'd find eggs later on, too, much later. That was, yeah. They're hard boiled, they don't smell too bad, really. I think many of us come to worship on Easter morning unaware what really is meant to be found in the joy of an empty tomb and a risen Savior. It's this unexpected joy. Like when you found that egg that was hidden and there's this, you, know, you, got, you, got, you went to the cold, warm, and hot after a while you know, because you're not smart enough to find the egg, so your parents have to dry, drag you to where the egg is until you finally get it. I mean, how many Easter's have you celebrated? For some of you, it could be many. Many Easter's. But how many resurrections have you experienced? See, that's different. Maybe year, maybe you're here year after year. You've been going to Easter services all your life. But today, maybe you might experience a resurrection, not an Easter. Maybe today you might have a chance for an unexpected change in your life, for a new start, for a rebirth. And have you noticed that in life, from time to time, our expectations and our realities just don't seem to match up? Maybe things that we have expected to go a certain way or be in a certain place, things that we expected to be finished, things we expected to receive, things we had hoped for that have not happened or at least they haven't happened yet. I mean, what parent has not had the thought that during Easter we should have an Easter egg hunt in our yard. And after the hunt, we will get a family photo of everyone smiling and wearing their matching outfits and suits and coats and smocking or in dresses, and it'll be magical. And how many of you in the room know that the expectations of a family egg hunt in picture 
never match the realities of the family egg hunt and picture. That the family photo ends up looking like a police lineup with half of the hoodlums with their eyes closed and their shirts untucked. All right? That's the reality. And look at this family photo. I don't know what they're doing, but they're like, eight of them are looking one way, three kids are upset about something, and the rest of folks are like, is this over yet? The first thing we understand is our expectations rarely match reality. Looking at you, Clark W. Griswold, at Christmas. The licorice jelly beans always seem like a good idea until you bite into one. Unless you like licorice. and I like licorice jelly beans, actually. Who likes licorice jelly beans? Raise your hands. Oh, we've got a few. Yeah, all right. Oh, Ruth. All right. Lunch with the family after church was going to be fun on Easter. Then everybody actually showed up. And somebody brought up politics or the pandemic. Your outfit today is looking great, but that's because you went through six other options that you went through that looked better in your head than the one on your body. Our realities rarely live up to their expectations, do they? And those are all funny and lighthearted. However, the truth is, for many of us this morning, for many of us this morning, The expectation for our lives is falling short. And actually, it's been very painful. I expected that my marriage was going to look different. I expected that I was going to stay in remission. I expected to be able to retire. I expected to have met someone by now. I expected this whole thing to be over by now. You fill in the blank. And I am convinced that many of us find ourselves in, this, in that place this morning. In some ways, we feel like some part of life or life itself has failed us. And we are not the first. We find the story in Luke 24 of two disciples who were traveling to a village called Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. Three days before that morning... Jesus of Nazareth, the one they believed was the Messiah, had been crucified. He was dead and with him died the expectations they had about the chance at a life of freedom. They never saw this ending in the death of the one who was going to be their rescuer. And the realities of Jesus' death were difficult to bear. And the man's name we find out a few verses later is Cleopas. Say Cleopas. It's good. That was very good. You're still awake. The second person is never named, but many scholars believe that person is Cleopas' wife. In verse 14, they were talking to each other about everything that had happened. And they're walking this seven-mile stretch back to their home, recounting what had taken place over the past few days. No doubt wondering how this could have happened, Wondering what they were going to do now, wondering how their hopes had failed, and wondering if they would face the same fate that Jesus just faced. When all of a sudden, while they were discussing these things, Jesus himself arrived and joined them on their journey. And instead of being overjoyed that somehow Jesus had survived the cross, the Bible tells us they were prevented from recognizing Him. Seems odd, doesn't it? The word that the writer uses here to describe the restriction of sight is the Greek word krato. Krato actually means to hold or to seize. Say krato. Krato. As I often say, use your Greek when you go out to lunch people and say things to them. Krato. Krato, I know Greek. Krato. To hold or to seize. It's only used two other times in the Scripture in a similar way. Interestingly enough, the first time is when Mary sees Jesus for the first time at the tomb and Mary thinks He is a gardener. 
The second, when the disciple on the lake, disciples are fishing on the lake after Jesus' resurrection, it says he was hard to see on the shore while they were in the water. They didn't realize it was Jesus. However, in all three of those instances, those who see Jesus do not recognize him. Maybe several reasons for that. Jesus may have taken on a glorified state of being, and his essence may have been different enough, they just couldn't recognize him. Maybe he was Jesus, but Jesus 2.0. He just kind of shimmered differently, a different reality. The kind of Jesus they all saw in his glory on the mountain when he was transfigured. Also, don't forget, this couple is experiencing a traumatic loss of a friend. They all are. And it may be the situation itself has clouded their vision. Many of you know how difficult it is to see clearly and think clearly in the midst of grief. I've been there. And nevertheless, what is true for Cleopas and his wife may be true for us today because sometimes isn't it true that life's failure cloud our view of Christ? That life's failures cloud our view of Christ. Maybe your life circumstances have made you feel like you are alone. Maybe it has made you question the love of God for you. However, this story tells us that just because we don't recognize or notice or even acknowledge Jesus, it does not mean that He is not there. Amen? Maybe we can't see Him. We don't know Him. We don't recognize Him at work in our lives and in the world, but it doesn't mean that He is not there. That He is not here. Perhaps on this Easter morning you can relate to Cleopas and his wife. You had the sense for a long time that you've been walking this road of life and the expectations you had for how things should go have not been met. You feel like God has failed you. It feels like a death. And you have felt like you are walking alone. And though you have cried out for answers, God is nowhere to be found. But here's what I'm convinced of. It is possible to feel abandoned and left alone all the while while Jesus is walking with you. See, it is possible to feel abandoned and all alone while Jesus is still walking with you. See, our circumstances can change, but our God's presence does not. Our circumstances can change, but our God's presence does not. Cleopas and his wife thought it was over. They thought it was finished. However, like the American novelist Louis L'Amour, one of my dad's favorite writers once said, there will come a time when you believe everything is finished. That will be the beginning. There will come a time when you believe everything is finished. That will be the beginning. And he said to them, Jesus, what are you talking about as you walk along? I love this picture of Jesus that is painted for us in these verses. After being dead for three days, I would fully expect Jesus to run up to them on the road and be like, just kidding, I'm not dead. I'm alive. It's on you. It's not what he does. He just shows up. Like, yeah. What are you talking about? However, the scriptures say they stopped. Their faces are downcast. They are broken hearted. They are crushed. Come on, Jesus. Reveal yourself to them. Don't let them be sad like this. Tell them the truth. However, he doesn't do that. Jesus also could have been like, I've been telling you for three years, three years, this is how it's supposed to end. How many times do I have to keep telling you that's what is supposed to happen? But you missed it. Instead of either one of those, instead what he does is he listens to their hurts. And instead he asks them questions. 
And the one named Cleopas replied, Are you the only visitor of Jerusalem who's unaware of the things that have taken place there over the last few days? Well, that's kind of a slap in the face. And be like, You know who you're talking to? But he said to them, What things? In the light of these circumstances, Jesus invites them to voice the cause of their despair. He invites them to honesty. And they said to him, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, because of his powerful deeds and his words, he was recognized by God and all the people as a prophet. Dummy. You see, we live in a culture where honesty is a sign of weakness. Let me explain that. Look at our politics. Honesty is not one of the top qualities that we see with any of our politicians. Look at professional sports. If you can get away with it, it's okay. Too often we reward dishonesty. We're conditioned that way. Especially on a day like today, a high and holy celebration where everyone comes in their finest and puts on their smiles and takes their pictures and pretends that everything is all good. When the truth for us, for for many of us, is not everything is good. Amen? Not everything is good. And it's okay that everything is not good. For many, a brokenness exists that we have been taught we cannot show the world. So instead of naming it or identifying it, we push it down and we act like everything is okay. There's a song by Matthew West, The Truth Be Told. You may have heard this song. It's one of my favorite songs. Why, number one, you're supposed to have it all together. And when they ask how you're doing, just smile and tell them never better. Lie number two, everybody's life is perfect except yours. So keep your messes and your wounds and your secrets safe with you behind closed doors. But truth be told, the truth is rarely told. I say... I say, I'm fine, yeah, I'm fine, oh, I'm fine, hey, I'm fine, but I'm not. I'm broken. Broken. I think what we see in Jesus in this interaction is his patience. This verse is a picture of the passage elsewhere in Scripture that says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. That we hear from Psalm thirty-four, eighteen. And what does Jesus do the whole time for his brokenhearted followers? He listens. Because that is what love does best. Love listens. Say that with me. Love listens. Love listens listens love listens Jesus listens to them it was his love for people that held him to the cross it was his love for people that rose him up from the grave it was his love that caused him to walk along the road with them and hear their hearts his love never failed them from beginning to the end And it has never failed us either. Amen? It has never failed us. And there are times when my wife Susan will want to talk about frustrations she may have like at work. Now, if you're a husband like me, I want to fix it right away. We get eight words into it and I'm ready to interrupt with right. So here's what you're going to do. Here's how we're going to solve that. Here's exactly what you're going to go back to work and say. Here's how to take that system and that structure and break it down. And we'll just take it apart and we'll do it. So do this. And she has to remind me at times, I'm not asking you to fix this. Though we've gotten better at that over time. I'm asking you to listen. To show patience and let me speak. That's where the love languages comes in. You've got to understand what love languages are for each other and try to live into those as much as possible because it will help to overcome some of those things. It is a struggle, though, to know our love languages for each other and live into those because we like to speak in our own love language only. You see, 
if I want, if I think that words of affirmation are important, but you don't, I don't really care. Because that's my love language, right? Learning your love language could be something totally different. It's important. And Jesus knows there is value in us getting out the stuff. Speaking our pain. Voicing our struggle. He invites us not to be afraid to tell Him how we feel. What are you discussing? What things have happened? Not only do you not walk alone, you have a Savior who is inviting you to vulnerability. To speak your pain and your frustration or disappointment with how your reality has not met your expectations. It's okay. It is a bad Easter photo. The egg hunt did go horrible. He's not intimidated by this. That your life is a hot mess. In fact, he welcomes it. Because love listens. But... After listening for a time, Jesus speaks up. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people, your dull minds keep you from believing all the prophets talked about. Now that doesn't seem like it's very loving, does it? Seems a little harsh, but the little literal translation here is, Do you understand? Do you even understand what you're talking about? You see, Jesus realizes as he's walking along with them and talks with them, they had interpreted the scriptures and the prophets and all that had come before him wrong. They had mistakenly thought that to redeem Israel meant the final, that finally the ones who had the power would lose their power and instead those who had the power for a long time would be overthrown and they would get the power all themselves. But that was what redemption is getting power. However, they were seeing it all wrong. So for them, everything has failed. And then Jesus opens the scripture to them. Was it necessary for Christ to suffer these things and enter, to enter into his glory? And then he interpreted for them the things written about himself in all the scriptures, starting with Moses and going through all the prophets. So this is a long conversation. Let me set you straight. Author N.T. Wright says, Like everyone else in Israel, they had been reading the Bible through the wrong end of the telescope. They had been seeing it as the long story of how God would redeem Israel from suffering. But instead it was the story of how God would redeem Israel through suffering, you see. Not from, but through his suffering and his death. No wonder they were confused by the death of their Messiah. That's not how it was supposed to go. This was exactly how it was supposed to go because that's what unfailing love looks like. Maybe some of the reasons many of us find ourselves disappointed by God and feel like He has failed us is because we mistakenly thought that being a Christian means everything in life would go perfectly. We would avoid all the pitfalls and frustrations of life. By becoming a Christian. Barbara, that's why you became a Christian. Because you knew your whole life would be completely perfect. Nothing ever happened to you again. Never lose anybody. No health problems. No things dealing in our lives. You know, the pandemic we'd be secure from because we simply believe in Jesus. And that means we're all going to be safe and protected. And all this other stuff, right? That's what it means. Become a Christian. Sign the dotted line. And now everything's perfect. That is not the case. Christians are not perfect, just forgiven. They're broken people, just like anybody outside of these doors. But the hope is at least we're trying to work through our brokenness and not just saying, well, you know, I'm broken, so I can't really do anything, and this is my life. You see, however, when Jesus is explaining on this dusty road is the way things truly change. Beyond the incidental to the eternal is not through power. It's through sacrifice. The way of the Christian is not the way of authority and position. It is the way of humility and self-giving love. The scriptures paint a picture of a Jesus who gives everything to offer us life. And he invites us to give up everything to find that life he offers and that he didn't fail because love never fails. Say that with me. 
Love never fails. Say it at home. Love never fails. You weren't all talking that time. I know you're doing something else on your computer at the same time. Love never fails. Love never fails. Not true love. And this conversation covered the seven miles between Jerusalem and Emmaus. And when they came to Emmaus, he acted as if he was going on ahead. I'm like, just keep going on. He's still not Jesus yet. He has not said anything about being Jesus. I mean, I can see this. You know, when you're awkwardly saying goodbye to someone, only to realize you're knocking next to them for a while, you're like going, well, I, I guess I need to go. And I need to, need to go. And, well, hey, don't kill myself. Hey, don't laugh at that, Jim. I saw that. I mean, you just kind of like, oh, well, I need, I'm, I'm going this direction. Well, I'm going this way for a while, and then I'll just, you know. That they urged him then, saying, stay with me. It's nearly evening, and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. After he took his seat at the table with them, he took the bread, he blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. Now, who does that remind you of? Stranger all of a sudden takes bread and breaks it and then gives it to them. And then it says, rightly so, right? Their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Crato. He disappeared from their sight. At this moment, their eyes are open. They see him for the first time that through Jesus' death and resurrection, through the broken body and the shed blood, that death itself was defeated, that God's new creation was brimming with life and joy and new possibilities. And right in the middle of the brokenness of the world, their eyes were opened to the new world that God was making through his unfailing love and through the sacrifice of his son. And Jesus told them all that in the, the trip from Jerusalem to Emmaus. See, Easter is not about a resurrection from the dead someday after we escape the corruption of this world alone. It's about being a part of this new, good, and glorious world that is being born right now in the midst of the old one. It's about experiencing resurrection power in our life today that Jesus can make us new right now. It's not about just getting dressed up for Easter and getting new clothes on and that's the highlight of it or getting our picture or our egg hunt or any of those pieces. It's about having a new life from the empty tomb to start again at this day, on this very day, to begin a whole new way of living. And then with that, poof, Jesus is gone. I'm like, he didn't walk out the door or anything. He's just like, see ya. He's gone. And they look at each other and say, weren't our hearts on fire when he spoke to us along the road and when he explained the scriptures to us? Duh. I want to ask you, When's the last time your heart burned within you? For Jesus. When's the last time your heart burned within you? When's the last time you felt truly alive? See, this story is not about a Savior who died a long time ago. It's about a Savior who is very much alive, who meets us along the road of life wherever we might be and opens our eyes to His love that will never fail us. That's what it's about. Not later somewhere, but here and there. And what Easter offers to all of us is participation in new creation. No matter what your life has been like up until now, no matter how much disappointment you have experienced, no matter how much you have failed, and we have all failed miserably again and again, you are offered a fresh start through Jesus' death and resurrection and His never-ending love right now. Right now on this day, in this time. And I have hope that it's never too late for my life or your life to change. All it takes is a want, a desire, 
and a follow-through to turn to Him to give you the strength to make it happen. Because we can't do it on our own. It requires more than just us. I have been through that experience over the last year of pouring everything out to everybody else and leaving nothing left inside of me. You've got to stay focused on Jesus. You've got to stay centered on your faith or you'll get lost in what the world has to tell you and what the world has to offer you and you'll never know the difference. So I hope that you will respond today to this invitation for Jesus' never-failing love and to follow Him. Whether that is to follow Him for the first time or to follow Him again or to get back up or, you know, after this last year, everything that we've been through, everything we're going through and it continues to go on, we all need a fresh start. We all need a rebirth. We all need a way to begin again. We all need to start living resurrected lives. And we can do that because He is here and His love never fails. And it's okay to not be fine. Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, I'm fine. But I'm not. I'm broken. And Jesus can take those broken pieces and make something beautiful out of it when we let him have all of those pieces. So may we turn those pieces over. And if you want to talk to me about it, be glad to do that. We don't really have the rails open to come down. Most of it anymore anyways. My email is on the front. My phone number is on the front of that bulletin. I'll be glad to sit down and talk to you about whatever it is that you need to be able to follow Jesus more in your life. I want you to find that kind of peace that he has to offer us all. Amen. And so one of the ways that we remember this whole idea was exactly the same way that they did on the road to Emmaus. It was in their house, this family gathered around a table in which he revealed himself. And now he comes to us to reveal himself in this table and in this meal. So folks at home, prepare your things. If you've got your bags, you actually have an extra communion in that bag and probably have one from your, whole, uh, your other bags as well from the beginning of Lent or get grape juice or whatever else you might have or whatever you want to use for this holy meal as we also prepare ourselves here in this place for this meal as well. As our kids come back in... Jesus met his disciples, women and men, young and old, and invited them into his new life. Jesus still meets his disciples, women and men, young and old, and invites them into his new life today. Woo! I believe the lane crew is coming back on that side. And the Yancey crew is about to hit the steps right now. Here they come. And we have, a, we have a few unhappy people. <laughs> the sound of a thriving church. But a loud church. <laughs> it's true. But I'm not going to talk while they're still moving. <laughs> I believe they're all excited. Jesus met his disciples, women and men, young and old, and invited them to his new life. Jesus still meets his disciples today, women and men, young and old, and invites them into his new life. And that new life begins, as any life begins, with water and bread. At this table here and at home, we receive the bread of new life. At this table here and at home, we are called together from many individuals into one body. At this table here and at home, we are strengthened to go answer Christ's call. This table is not mine. It does not belong to this church. This is not even a United Methodist table. It is God's table. 
And all of us, no matter who we are or what we have done or where we are in life's journey, are as welcome here as Peter and Joanna and Mary and James were at the first table and Cleopas and his wife. The risen Christ is the host and he bids us come and celebrate the feast to know the power of resurrection, the joy of heaven and the glory of God's grace. Join with me in our litany up on the screen here. Easter people, come now to the table with Christ. For he is risen, he lives, and heads his feast. Come, eat together the bread of life. For he is risen, and nothing separates us from God's love. Come, drink together from the cup of salvation. For Christ is risen, risen as he said. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. Christ who was there before the universe was called into creation. Christ, who was anticipated by the prophets and prepared for by the people. Christ, who was born in a manger, baptized in Jordan, and who calmed storms in the Sea of Galilee. Christ, who fed us all with word and healing, with loaves and fishes. Christ, who saved us with a cross and an empty tomb. Christ, who never faded, never abandoned, never truly left us. Christ of love, it is with you and because of you and in celebration of you that we gather around your table this morning. And gathered as we are, we pray, come, Holy Spirit, come. Consecrate this loaf and this fruit of the vine. Bless all of us in our eating and drinking at this table, that our eyes may be opened, that we may recognize the risen Christ in our midst and in each other, and be united with all whom Christ died. Amen. Amen. And so these words of resurrection, remember that on the morning of Jesus' resurrection, the woman took spices and prepared and went to his tomb. There they found the stone had been rolled away and his tomb was now empty. And there they found two men with faces shining like lightning who said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? There the women remembered Jesus' words, The Son of Man must be crucified on the third day, be raised again. And so this morning we remember the story of Jesus' resurrection and the story leading up to it. And remembering this story, we gather around this table and we break bread and pour wine, juice in our case, and we are made whole and we give thanks that everything Jesus did was for love and for us. So with great joy this morning, I proclaim in Jesus' name that these are the gifts of God for the people of God. And so come, for all things are ready. So in order for us this morning to be able to do this, What you'll see in front of you at the rails, for those of you on site, is communion is being laid out individually, and you will pick it up. You'll come by family groups, leave some space in between each other. These uh, folks over here are going to come this way. You folks, because this is different now, you need to come back around the other way, okay? Don't come this way. So I'm, I'm trying to... The service has a hard time catching this sometimes. This... And you guys go this, this, and you guys come around the back side of this and then return to your seats. You guys, same kind of way. Start over here, yep. Make a circle so you're heading towards the wall. Thank you, Stephanie. Make a circle so you're heading towards the wall at all times. That way you're not crossing over each other, you understand? So that way it keeps it all going so everybody's in their own circles and they never make contact if it works correctly. And uh, so um, we're going to offer that. Get yourself ready at home. And in a second, we'll invite you to come up and do that. You want to go ahead and do our little piece here. Sisters in Christ, this is the body of Christ, given for you, out of love. Take, eat. The blood of Christ shed for you and for me and for all of us in the forgiveness of sins, a sacrifice so complete to lay your life down for your friends. And truly, he calls us all friends. So I now invite you to come forward as I designated and come this way and receive your communion. Take it back to your seats. We will all take it together at one time.
What? Oh, balconies. They're upstairs, actually. There are people right there, right now, taking care of that. Thanks for thinking about that, Brent. All right, you may come forward now as we begin to gather communion. You're doing wonderful. survive that so we're in good shape the body of Christ broken given for you the blood of Christ shed for you you may want to take it first or dip it into there it softens it up whatever you want to do but now take off your masks and partake May Christ be with each one of us and know that we believe in Christ alone and on Him we stand and everything else will work itself out. Amen. Let's stand together and sing these last two verses.
Just go. 